Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Good to have uh, the kids with us this morning, and uh, they're going to stay in for the service. We did not run buses today. We figured a lot of kids were up late last night, wouldn't make it out to church this morning, and we thought we'd run a bus for just a couple kids, but we did pick up some kids, and I'm thankful for the young people that decided to call us and say we'd like to come. And so we had a bunch of teenagers that on their own called and said, can we get a ride to church? And we made sure we got them. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you guys are in church. And uh, man, what a good looking row right there. I'm telling you, best looking row in the church right here. Sorry, Jim. You're... <laughs> But the rest looks good. Good-looking kids right there. And uh, we're so thrilled to have the young people in church today. You know, that's the future of our church. And uh, we need to keep praying and encouraging them and helping them and encouraging them along. John chapter 1 this morning. Let me just give you a couple uh, brief announcements. I, I don't mean to uh, do too many announcements right now, but I just want to give you a couple while we have your attention. And, uh, of course, this week we... Uh, the passing of B. Stone went home to be with the Lord. And Brother Bob's here this morning. I know you're praying for him and you'll encourage him. There will be this Saturday, January the 7th, there will be a, a graveside service at 1 o'clock at Victoria Baptist Cemetery. And so if you'd like to go to that, you're welcome to. And uh, it's, it's down in Victoria, of course, and you go up that winding road up the hill. There's just a little tiny sign right on the main drag through uh, Victoria before you get into Victoria. If you're going off of Highway 24, it'll be on your right-hand side. And uh, it's easy to miss. You'll have to watch for it and uh, have a look around. But it's up on top of a hill back in the woods a little bit, and there'll be a graveside service at 1 o'clock, and then from 2 to 4, it'll be kind of like an open house fellowship here at the Olive Room, and uh, so you can come and pay your respects and visit with the family, and there'll be some coffee and tea and some squares out, and then you can enjoy a little bit of fellowship, but come and encourage them, be a blessing to them if you can, and um, Bonnie Lloyd is taking care of that lunch, and so ladies, she may need some help, and uh, she'll be calling around to get some squares and things for that. That'll be this week, all right, January the 7th, 1 o'clock service, 2 to 4, will be uh, the fellowship here at the church. Also, uh, some of you know Tom. Tom is the fellow that comes in Sunday nights often. He's from, uh, from uh, Steel City Baptist Church, Pastor Eagles in Brantford. Uh, he sits on the back row, and sometimes he dresses a little funny, and he wears a flag or whatever. He's very passionate about everything he does. Uh, he died suddenly yesterday. He had a massive heart attack at 50 years old and passed away. And so if uh, some of you might start wondering, where's Tom? I haven't seen him lately. Uh, he was going around at Christmas giving Christmas ornaments to everybody that he had picked up and ties for the men and uh, just wanted to be a blessing to people. And so uh, just think about his family. I'm not sure what family he has. We only met him just coming here once in a while. And then we just heard this morning that Jim Corbett passed away suddenly this week as well. And that was Lois Corbett's son. And so a lot of things uh, to think about. And it kind of goes into my message, you know. And so look at John chapter 1 this morning. And my message isn't going to be about death and destruction. It's going to be on the other hand, uh, the other side of things. And we want to look at this uh, from, from God's perspective, if you will, for the Lord's perspective. John chapter 1, this is the third message that I got ready for this morning. And I, uh, Rob asked me last night, do you have a title for the screens? And I said, uh, yeah, here you go. And I sent him one. And he says, are you sure this is the right message? It has some things in it about from years ago. And I said, well, I took some of the introduction from a previous message that kind of introduced this. And I said, I'm still working on it. And, and uh, then I threw that one out. And then I had another one that I was had ready. And I uh, just didn't feel right about that either. And then last night, uh, about 9 or 9.30, I guess it was, we get an email every week from a missionary board, and uh, it has some summaries on there. It says, please pray 
And it gives you a list of different missionaries and just prayer requests they've got going on in their lives. And sometimes there's eight, ten requests and just goes through some different names. And, and so the president of the board, he sends this out every week. And uh, at the top of his email, at the top of his email, it said, wow, what a year this has been. And I thought, you know, if I, if I read that, I... Perhaps the rest of it, I can assume, maybe it was a great year. I mean, he's involved in the Great Commission. He's involved in sending missionaries all over the world and telling people about Jesus. But his very next statement made me realize, no, he's being negative. He said, wow, what a year this has been, but God has been faithful anyway. And it's true, God is always faithful. Hey, he's faithful if it's a good year or a bad year. But him qualifying his statement made it say he was complaining. What a year. And that's what we often do when we come to a new year. We look back on the old year, 2022 now, and we say, what a terrible year. I sure hope this year is better. Somehow by magically flipping a calendar, everything is going to change. I dare say, if you were bogged down with some dreaded disease on December 31st, you probably still have it on January 1st. I don't say that to discourage you. I'm just saying the changing of a calendar doesn't change those things. I just read three names of people that passed away this week, two of them in the last day or so. And for their families, they're going to look back and say, what a horrible, horrible year. We often look at the low points of our lives than we do the high points. I can't remember how many times I've heard on social media, I can't wait for this year to be over. I've heard preachers say it. That what a horrible year, whether it was 2020 or 2019. And by the way, it's only been amplified the last three years. And so you say, what are you doing, preacher? Here's what I'm doing. I'm complaining about complaining. I'm whining about people whining. And I, and I hope that and pray that we don't fall victim to that. I hope that you haven't. And I understand there are very real trials in life. And as Judy just sang, without Jesus, I don't know how anybody gets through them. But the truth is, we do have Jesus. Some of you might know the name Jordan Peterson. He is a, a social conservative that uh, I believe they threw him out of the University of Toronto because he was too conservative. He's, a, he, he's an absolute genius. His IQ is off the charts. And he says a lot of good things. He says a lot of bad things too. It just, but one of the things he said is this. If you are living in Canada in the year 2022, which of course just passed, he says your life is infinitely better than 99.9% .9 of all people who have lived before you. He says, the medicine is better. Technology is better. Our quality of life is better. He says, just everything that we have and how we have progressed as a society, he says, now there are some outliers, of course. There are some people who are homeless and there's people who are very diseased and sick and, and struggling with life. But for the most part, we as Canadians living in this day have it far better than, than all of human history. And yet we seem to always find things to complain about, don't we? So that missionary letter last night set me off. Is it okay to use the word ticked? 
ticked me off. I thought, why are we as the people of God complaining? What do we have to complain about? I'd like to sit down with them and say, what is it that made this year so terrible for you? Is it the thousands of souls that you're reporting got saved through your missionaries? What is it that was so difficult? I've heard the last few years, honestly, even Christians, life is so bad. Do you know I haven't been able to cross the border and go to Cracker Barrel in two and a half years? Oh, you poor soul. By the way, I just went there Friday. I'm just telling you. It was good. Oh, man. Josh, Josh was tired of getting left behind in our house, and so he went out and got himself a passport. So this week we thought we'd try it out and take him down, and we went to the States. First time he's been out of the country, and we went to Cracker Barrel. Amen. That's, that's called baptism right there, indoctrination. It was good. And uh, so, but that's the kind of complaints I've heard. Oh, I wish I could do this, or I wish I could do that. Let me say this. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food on my table. I said to my wife, I don't know when we're going to need to buy groceries again because our fridge is packed. Praise the Lord. We went out and bought all kinds of stuff because the kids were coming in for Christmas, and they left half of it. Praise the Lord. And the stuff we bought for them was all junk food, and I like that. That's good. I shouldn't be eating it, but I'm glad it's there. But I open the fridge, and when things are falling out of the fridge at you, you know you're blessed. And your cupboards are full. My heat comes on when it gets cold. I even got air conditioning when I get a little sweat on my brow. I'm, I'm just saying, we have so much to be thankful for, and we have everything we need. And above all that, we have salvation through Christ Jesus. I think about Lazarus that laid at the rich man's gate begging for the crumbs from the table. And the Bible says he ended up in Abraham's bosom. Some say it's a parable. Some say Jesus was telling a true story. If it was a true story, think about this. In his life, he was afflicted, the Bible says. But how long was his life? Probably in those days, with, with the condition that he lived in and, and the sickness that his body experienced, maybe 50, 60 years old. So for 50, 60 years, he labored on this earth, and the Bible talks about toil and affliction in his life. But for 2,000 years now, he's been in the presence of Jesus. If we could go to heaven today and talk to Lazarus, he'd probably say, I don't even remember those 50, 60 years. I don't even want to think about it. I'm not going to complain because I'm in the presence of Jesus. And I am comforted from all that affliction. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 1 this morning. I'm just going to read one verse. One verse. Verse 14. You're going to say, where are you going with this? This has nothing to do with what you're talking about. Oh, it does. Hold on. And the word was made flesh. Verse 14. You all know this verse. It's a Christmas verse. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love for us. 
Lord, as we reflect on another year past, often we're tempted to say it wasn't a great year. Lord, there might be somebody here today, I I think uh, uh, Maria, who accepted Christ as her Savior. For her, it was a great year. I think of others who have had good things happen, and we often push those aside and focus on the negatives because they're hard. But I pray, Lord, that you'd help us through the eyes of Christ today to have a new perspective. Lord, today is the very first day of a new year. And it's not determined yet what this year will bring, what it might be like. And no doubt there will be some sickness in this room. There might be more death. But Lord, we know that through the grace of God and through your spirit, we can get through those things. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us have the right spirit and the right attitude as we approach this, this year. And Lord, that we might, in fact, bring much glory to your name. And so Father, I pray that you'd help me. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit, I pray. And help me not to preach because I got upset about something last night I read. But help me to preach with the Spirit of Christ. I surrender to you and I ask that you'd fill me. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 14 again, if you will, in John chapter 1. I want to bring something out. Just that phrase, we beheld his glory. And that glory was full of grace and truth, as of the only begotten of the Father. We beheld his glory. Let me ask you something. Just just imagine with me, if you will, for a few minutes this morning. What do you suppose the childhood of Christ was like? We have a very small glimpse, don't we? We see his birth. His birth was unlike any other. And if the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's a lot of debate about how much he knew about himself and how much did he lay aside his glory and all these things. We know he was God in the flesh. He was 100% God, 100% man. But it seems like he laid aside certain things. I don't know if he remembers laying in a manger. I don't know if he remembers that. Uh, It seems that he was subject unto his parents, it says, when he was 12 years old. And so he humbled himself and he obeyed his folks. And and he was, the Bible talks about in the book of Luke chapter 1, how he was raised and and he he became wiser and smarter and he grew in in admiration of men. And so there was a, a definite growth process in his life that God allowed to take place so that he would be a lot like other boys. But here's what I do know, he was sinless. He avoided a lot of he avoided any discipline in his life because he was sinless. I, I, I would dare say that his childhood was a joyous childhood. You say, why do you say that? Because anybody would say, I, I had a pretty good childhood. I've heard people say this: we didn't even know we were poor. We'd play in the dirt, we'd climb trees, we may not have had all the fancy things that other kids had, but Man, we had so much. And so Jesus, even though growing up in the town of Nazareth and maybe not having a lot of money, his father had a job. He was a carpenter. His mother was faithful in teaching him the things of God. I believe he had a good childhood. I believe he was joyous. We know that there were brothers and sisters in the home that would come along after Joseph and Mary would give birth to Jesus. And and so he had some siblings to grow up with and he enjoyed that time. But in the Bible, 
the vast majority of the Gospels are not about his birth. That's only about three chapters. They're not about the time he was 12 and taught in the temple. That is just worked into those same three chapters. But other than those three chapters, the Gospels are about a three or a three and a half year period of Jesus' life. You following me? From the time Jesus was about 30 years old, the Bible says he was about 30 years old when he was baptized by John the Baptist. He would be tempted. He would go in the power of the Spirit into Galilee and he began to preach the gospel. He began to tell people about a better way, how they can be reconciled to God. He began to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom and we see the Lord Jesus Christ burst into the scene and for three and a half years, that's primarily what the gospels give us. There's just three chapters. Talk about his birth and the time he was 12 years old, all the rest. So let me ask you this. John chapter 1 and verse 14. When it says, we beheld his glory, what portion of his life is John referring to? I believe it's his whole life, but the vast majority of it is three Three and a half years. We saw his glory. We didn't see much glory when he was 11 years old. We didn't see any. We didn't see much glory when he was 15. Now, people who lived with him and Mary, his mother, knew who he was. And, and she saw glimpses, I'm sure, of his life and, and certain things about him that were very different. And the Bible says that when the angels told her all about her son, she pondered these things in her heart. And, of course, John the Baptist leapt in the womb when Mary walked into the room carrying the Christ child. So she had a pretty good knowledge. And she saw glimpses of the glory of God. But through the word of God we see a snapshot of about three, three and a half years. In other words, about 10% of the Lord's life. Here's the thing. John is writing about 30 to 40 years after Christ's resurrection. And in John chapter 1, he says, We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you know what those three, three and a half years were like? Jesus was persecuted. He was subject to religious hatred. There was opposition. There was mockery. He had heartache. He was betrayed by the one that he loved. He was abandoned by those who were closest to him. Not just the disciples who forsook him and fled on the night of the crucifixion. But the Bible says after these hard sayings, many turned back and followed him no more. Many abandoned him. Can you imagine the hurt, the rejection, the pain? I couldn't imagine if I came to church next Sunday and nobody showed up. That would hurt. Don't try it just to test me. But that's sometimes hurtful. Sometimes you don't see somebody for two, three weeks. You go, oh man, what have I done? The devil blames you. He points the finger. And Jesus felt the, the hurt of abandonment and the hurt of betrayal. And he, he, the one that he really promised that would never hurt him or leave him denied him, Peter. In those three years, he felt suffering, torture, and death. 
If the Lord Jesus Christ were standing here this morning, he'd say, he might be able to say, I don't believe he would. I've had a pretty rough go. I'm so thankful for a new year because it's been a bad three years. If I were to tell any one of you today, hey, I want you to serve God, but it's going to mean mockery. And it's going to mean torture and death and your martyrdom. You can do this for about three, three and a half years. And in that time, people are going to oppose you. And they're going to persecute you. And they're going to hate you. And they're going to call you names. And they're going to crucify you. We'd have a real hard time finding workers. And yet Jesus did it. And the Bible says this in the book of Isaiah. He opened not his mouth. Never complained. Never whined. He never said, why did I ever come to this earth? What a, what a horrible place. No, he knew when he came, he was coming to save sinners. He knew that we were lost. The apostle put it this way, evil men shall wax worse and worse. You say, oh, I thought, I'm just hoping 2023 will be a better year. I got bad news for you. Evil men shall wax worse and worse. If the Lord were to look back, he would probably say that three and a half years. If he were me, if he were you, we'd likely say, I'm so glad that's done. It's over with. And yet here's what John said. During those times, that three and a half years, we beheld his glory. That convicted me. I wonder if I were to write a letter about 2022 like I received last night, would people be able to see the glory of God based on my testimony? Or would they hear me whine and complain about another bad year? I want to give you three things that I believe why we saw the glory of God during those three years. Just very simple message this morning. Number one, it was a period that was marked by the filling of the Spirit. Judy just saying, I don't know how anybody can live without Jesus. Jesus said, I will send my comforter, my Spirit, and he will dwell within you. And the Bible commands us to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ was no different. There's no doubt he was filled with the very Spirit of God. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. Let's read there just a few verses. Luke chapter 4 this morning. Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 3, we read about John the Baptist's ministry. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to be baptized of John the Baptist. You'll remember that the Bible says that the heavens were opened and the Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove, and it rested upon Jesus. And then God the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son and whom I'm well pleased, but I want you to think a moment about the Spirit of God that came and rested upon Jesus. And the Bible says in chapter 4, right after that baptism, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So notice what is happening. 
The Bible says he's full of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has come and rested upon him, and now he is being led by the Spirit. Listen, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we can be led by the Spirit of God, but we must obey. And the Bible says, being 40 days, verse 2, tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God... Command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, The man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written... Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give the angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. The Lord Jesus Christ has been baptized. The dove descends, the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says he's now filled with the Holy Ghost and he's led by the Spirit. And we all think, wow, isn't that wonderful? But look where he leads him. To a desert place. No food. Nothing to eat for 40 days. And the whole time he is tempted to the devil. For 40 days, he is tempted. He says, is that really where the Spirit might lead us? Maybe. But notice what happens next, verse 14. And Jesus returned in what? The power of the Spirit. He wasn't just filled. He wasn't just led. But now he comes to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the Bible says there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. The Lord Jesus Christ was able to look back upon his life and say it was a wonderful time of serving God, even though he's persecuted and hurt and mocked and scorned and betrayed and denied and even crucified because he simply was doing his father's will. He knew when he was 12 years old that he must be about his father's business. And so as being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus understood that even though he was tempted and even though he was hungry and even though he was brought to this desert place for a time of trial, it would leave him filled with the Spirit of God and in the power of the Spirit of God. You know, the Bible commands in Ephesians 5.18 that we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. Several years ago, we had couple, the Armchuck family. And uh, Mike and Mary Armchuck, they were just sweet people. And uh, they were in a nursing home and they were, you know, getting up in age and their daughter had cancer. She was only about 55 years old and she passed away, went home to be with the Lord. And so I went over to the nursing home that day and I, I took his, uh, Mrs. Armchuck had Alzheimer's and that's why Mike, he had a heart problem and he really didn't need to be in there, but he Wanted to be with his wife, and in case something happened to him, he wanted her taken care of. And so I went over to the, the nursing home, and I went in, and I greeted Mike. He meet, met me at the door. I knocked, and he greeted me at the door, and we talked a little bit. Then I went into his wife, who was in a wheelchair. And I said, Mary, I'm so sorry. 
hear about your daughter. And she looked at me with a big smile. And she says, I don't worry. I just trust. That's what the Spirit of God will do. Being filled with the Spirit of God allowed her to have the power of God upon her. That even in the death of a child, she was able to smile. Oh, I saw a tear come down her face at the funeral. I know that she she was hurting. But she knew because of Christ's comforting presence in her life that everything would be okay. Christ was able to endure those three years because of the Spirit of God upon him. But I want you to notice, secondly, not only did he have the filling of the Spirit, he had a focus on service. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 17. Back just a few pages from where you are. Sorry, forward a few pages from where you are. John chapter 17. The Lord Jesus Christ was not focused on himself. He was focused on service. Can I tell you this? If we stare too long in the mirror, you're going to find all kinds of warts and wrinkles. You're going to find all kinds of things to be concerned about and worried about. We look at ourselves and we dwell upon ourselves. The Bible said this, or somebody, not the Bible, somebody said this, idle hands are the devil's workshop. We sit around with our own thoughts and it's just not good for us. We were created to have fellowship. But I want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ was always focused on service. Look what it says in John chapter 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Listen to this. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus never had an idle moment. He was always focused on service. Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. As Jesus went from village to village, he constantly was preaching about the Father and how to be reconciled, how to be saved from your sins. It wasn't about his own self-preservation. It wasn't about his level of comfort. His focus was on the work that God had given him to do. And that work was about others. He was the son of man, and he was a servant of mankind. I'm going to read to you from Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, you can turn there with me if you like. The Bible says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love. Listen to this. Being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's a servant's heart. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant." was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death 
of the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ was able to endure persecution and suffering because he was focused on others, focused on service. Years ago, a young lady in the church came to us in Hamilton, and she was struggling. She was struggling with her spirit and her attitude. Her husband worked all day, and she was kind of home, and again, with her own thoughts. She complained a lot about things and angry about things, and her spirit and her attitude were wrong, but at least she recognized it. And she came and she asked for some help. How could she change it? So we begin to send her to the nursing home. We send her to the widows. Said, go and take this lady. Take her and get some groceries. Help her. She doesn't have a car. And she began to do that. Began to serve others. And her attitude completely changed. Because she took the focus off herself. And put it on service. You know, the truth is, the reason we often have a bad year is because we're focused on everything going on in our lives rather than how can we help others? How can I have the spirit of Christ and be a servant? Christ was focused on surface. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. But I want you to see thirdly, Christ was able to endure because of the furnishing of salvation. He had a mission to furnish or provide salvation for all of mankind. Look back in John chapter 1 near our text this morning. John chapter 1 and jump down to verse 16. I'm going to read verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Listen to these verses that talk about Jesus Christ came to give us salvation. In Luke chapter 1, we read of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Mary's proclamation or the Psalm of Mary, if you will, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 30, Simeon meets him in the temple and he says, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Listen, friends, when Jesus Christ said, it is finished, he wasn't saying this three-year period is finally over. He wasn't saying, I'm so glad the calendar's turning to a new year. He wasn't saying, finally, the suffering is over and the pain and the mocking and the hatred is done with. He was saying, no, salvation's been provided. It is finished. The veil has been rent in two and man can have access into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. That's why Christ could endure because it wasn't about him. It was about bringing many souls to Calvary. Listen, as we think about this thought today, 
I thought about this. Everything that Christ endured in his life, listen, was shaping him to provide salvation for us. It all culminated at the cross of Calvary. So let me ask you this. As you look back at the year past, and I'm not trying to make light of your trials. I'm not trying to say that you didn't have real grief or sorrow. But what was God using that to shape you for? Do we believe Romans 8.28? God is working all things together for good. All things aren't always good, but when he works them together, they can become good. If we truly love him, we're called according to his purpose. He is working all these circumstances, all these trials, all these things. I look at the life of Jesus and think, I wouldn't want his life. I wouldn't want to endure what he endured. It's hard enough preaching to people that amen you. But people that hate you? People that cry out, crucify? People that are getting up early in the morning and scheming how they may take you? And deliver you? to the cross of Calvary. I wouldn't want his life. But Jesus endured it all that he might give us salvation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Sometimes he allows suffering, pain and anguish because he has a bigger plan for our lives. 2023 has just begun and whether it is a good year or a bad year is yet to be seen, but your perspective and your attitude will go a long way to determine how this year turns out. Will we look at a trial and say, what is God doing? Let me say this. Ask yourself these questions. Number one, what is God shaping in my life? When you come into one of these trials, and you will, the Bible says offenses must come. Somebody's going to make you angry. Somebody's going to say something unkind, and they may not even realize they did it. You may suffer. You may be sick. You may even be touched by death. What is God shaping in my life? What is God taking all these things, and what is he working it towards? You may not see the end in this one year, but God has a plan, and he's doing it for your good. Here's the second question. What lesson can I learn from this? Here's my problem. I sometimes have to go through it three or four times and try to relearn that same lesson until finally God brings a two-by-four upside my head. He says, now do you get it? How many of you are like that? Man, we go through the same thing over and over and we just don't learn. Why not just stop when we're going through a trial instead of complaining and getting angry or upset saying, God, what can I learn? Help me to learn this lesson now. I don't want to go through this again. What are you teaching me? So number one, what are you shaping in my life? Number two, what are you teaching me? Number three, and this is important, how can God get the glory through this? How do I bring him glory through this trial? Here's a hint, focus on him and not the trial. See what God is doing through it. Do you see his glory in the trial? In the life of Christ, and all that he endured, John said, we beheld his glory. What a statement to think that after all he went through, that's what John saw. Here's what John says at the end of his gospel. 
And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that should be written. Amen. When I read that verse, I think of good things. I don't know why. I just get the idea that John's talking about miracles. He's talking about positive things. He's not rehashing the abuse that Jesus took, the mocking. He's talking about the great things that Jesus did. And he said, I'm going to focus on those. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, and this is a great verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If anybody had a right to complain, it was Jesus, but he opened not his mouth. You say, why? Because for the joy of sitting at the right hand of the Father, it was set before him, he endured the cross. You know there's something bigger than you going on? I, I don't mean to hurt your ego or step on your ego at all today, but this life is way bigger than you and I. There's people that need to be saved. And we can get bogged down and we can get stuck in our little mire of troubles and trials. And we say, God, what are you shaping in my life? Are you making me stronger? How do you receive glory from this situation? We don't always know the answers. You know, I, I remember, it's almost been 17 years since my dad went home to be with the Lord. And I got thinking, you know, 59 years old, that's awful young. You wonder, Lord, what are you doing? That on the way home from the funeral, my niece Paige accepted Christ. I have a feeling that pop up in heaven would be well pleased. That though he was gone, his granddaughter got saved. I don't know, always know what God is doing through trials, but I know this. I got to quit complaining about them. I told you I'm going to complain about complaining and whine about whining today. But I hope I learn that God has a purpose. And that 2023 could be the best year ever if my attitude is right. And I understand that Christ is working something in me. Let's bow together. Father, we love you. Thank you for being so good to us. Father, I pray that you'd move in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to determine today that no matter what happens this year, what comes this year, that our attitude and our spirit will be Christ-like. That we'll turn our hurts towards the Lord, that we'll cast all our care upon him, that the burdens that we carry, we understand that, that, we can, that his burden is light. But we just need to learn to trust you that you know what's best for us. So speak to our hearts today, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Our heads bowed and our eyes are closed. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come? Why don't you make a commitment right now? Lord, I want to meet every trial, every struggle, every temptation, every tragedy, 
Anything that comes my way, I want to meet it with the Spirit of Christ. But this could be the best year ever. And through it, I want people to see the glory of God. Maybe at the end of your life, they can write on your headstone, yes, he was a good man, but we beheld his glory, speaking of God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Maybe there's one here today say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. We just told you this morning of a 50-year-old that died suddenly. I don't know how old Jim Corbett was. I'm thinking late 50s, 58 or so maybe. It's young. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Nobody in this room knows if you'll make it to 2024. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off any longer. You can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you just trust in him today, let us help you. Let us show you what the Bible says about eternal life. As one say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call your name, I promise. Would you just slip up your hand quickly? Let me see. Let me pray for you today. Is there one? Not sure I'm saved. 